The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. And we are live to tape to the W2M Network for the... Well, I don't know what we would call this, Patrick. What would you suggest we call this? I don't know. You've been here for longer than I have. Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. Nice of you to actually show up for once. Go to hell. (laughs) Technically speaking, this would be a WU Reacts to the 2018 edition of the Elimination Page. Chamber pay-per-view, but that's all, folks. My name is Harry Broadhurst. I am going to be your host for this since our returning friend is a little bit out of practice. Good evening, Patrick. I think just in tonight's case, we can actually go, woo, reacts. It is the Nature Boy's birthday. That's fair. Also sitting in with us tonight will be my... I can't get away from you, can I? <laughs> the Skeletor to my He-Man, Brandon Biscabing. Hello, and don't forget, I'm uh, running the zero, the ones and zeros tonight, so uh, you better watch your mouth. He's also okay. as talented as the original Skeletor, Michelle McCool. <laughs> I would point out the fact that if you mute me, you mute yourself, and frankly... well, I think No, I don't mute you. myself. I do mute Patrick, however. Well, that means it's just you and nobody yeah, wants Yeah, that. I could just do the whole reaction myself. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Ain't nobody going to listen. Anywho, let's actually talk about why we're here, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Um, PK, did you watch the pre-show? I did indeed. Okay, Brandon? Yes, I did. Well, then we open with the pre-show contest scheduled for one fall. One fall! One fall! <laughs> We're going to have to work on getting you two synthesized <laughs> for that. As the club, the Balor Club, as they were officially referred to us tonight, but the club as we've been referring to them for the prior year and a half, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson take on the Miztourage of Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas, set up by the fact that the Miztourage cost Finn Balor his match with the Miz during the course of last Monday night's gauntlet match. And also, the, and also the fact that at that point, the pay-per-view only had four matches. Yeah, but the tag team title match was kind of written in stone once they had the champs drop the non-title on Raw. We see a match that goes just a touch under nine minutes, even with commercial, and understandably with the commercials here. These air live on YouTube, Facebook Live and stuff, so that way they can have the chance to plug the network. So I get the commercials during the pre-show matches. I'm fine with it. We see the club pick up the win as Curtis Axel gets put down with a magic killer and Carl Anderson gets the pinfall. Yeah, uh, Brent, where did you fall on this match? I mean, this was a solid pre-show match. I mean, you didn't really expect anything spectacular with this match. But, you know, it was a good, solid match to start off the show and get everyone ready for the main card. And, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone really had any 
doubts that the club was going to go over in this match. Patrick? A serviceable match did its job. Um, I, I mean, out of the six matches on the card, you had to fill four freaking hours, and they still ran long, but... I, I, it was a good enough match. I don't really think there was any question that Balor Club was going to win. Uh, and I'm, I'm okay with what ended up happening. See, the thing to me is, is, does this set up the Balor Club on the road to WrestleMania to be the challengers for the tag team champions after what we saw tonight on the pay-per-view itself? I have a feeling, and I know both you and Liz and probably everyone else on W2M is going to hate me for saying this, but I have a feeling we're going to get a multi-man at Mania for the Raw Tag Team titles. Because there aren't enough multi-man matches already. Well, of course. Be- but, I mean, look at it. You've got the club who's been getting a lot of uh, a lot of airtime lately, and they, I would assume, rightly deserve a title shot. You've got the Revival who have beaten the club twice now. Uh, and you have Tennis Worldwide. I mean, yes, they lost tonight, so I don't know if they really factor into this, but I could at least see a triple threat uh, at Mania between the bar, the club, and the Revival. Are there any tag teams that are looking to come back? Well, the only one that I can think of uh, is if, which I was expecting him to return tonight, but Alas, it did not happen. If Jeff Har- Jeff Hardy is uh, ready to come back, uh, maybe the Hardy Boys or you know the Broken whatever whatever they're gonna call them in WWE uh, comes back and returns at Mania. Can I just point out the fact I had no idea Brandon's last name was Adam Lee? Shut up. <laughs> I know. As soon as I was about to say it, I was like, God damn it, I'm like, God damn it, I'm like, <laughs> hey, hey, you hey, all hey. suck. Okay, what's going to happen? Sean's going to throw us off the air. We're doing this as a bonus for him. <laughs> so we, that way he has immediate live coverage for the pay-per-view. Anyway, um, yeah, I think the Woken Hardys are probably a likely candidate for that Raw Tag Team title match at WrestleMania as well, if not doing something else with the Good Brothers as well as the Revival, though. I will say this much. Good grief, Mike Rome, you blathering idiot. Quay? Nerd! Did you see the interview with the Revival right after the match? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Good Lord, Mike Rome could not have looked stupider during that interview. <laughs> Are we sure his last name is an Adam Lee? It fits. <laughs> hey, at least it's not like, uh, Cor- at, at least it's not as stupid as Corey Graves claiming that he doesn't know how Nia Jax can beat Oscar, or said, or I- excuse me, claims that Nia Jax can beat Oscar, saying that they haven't ever faced, in spite of the fact that he personally saw them face before on NXT. NXT doesn't exist in WWE canon. Shut up. I know this, but shut up. It's an end Except to a meet. Asuka's ungodly long winning streak. It only exists when they want it to exist. All right, let's move on to the main show, shall we? Let's do it. 
All right, our opening contest scheduled for five falls. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Fine, y'all suck. It's going to be even worse when we get to the men's match. Is the Raw Women's Elimination Chamber match as champion Alexa Bliss defends against Bailey, Mandy Rose, Mickey James, Sonya Deville, and Sasha Banks. The order of elimination goes as follows. Mandy Rose at 13:58, Sonya Deville at 19 at excuse me, at 18:40. Mickey James at 1903. Bailey at 2545. And Alexa retains the women's title with a top rope draping DDT, apparently watching her on Drade Almas tapes. Network matches? Whatever. At 2935, Alexa retains the title. First, we'll talk about the match, then we'll talk about the post match interview first. All right, I already know where this is going to go because we had this conversation during the show in the group chat, so we might as well get it out of the way. Brandon. I I just I just do not like the way the new structure is handled. I mean, yes, I get you guys say, oh, they still have the, the chain link at you know throughout like surrounding the ring yeah that's all well and good but one of the one of the iconic things about the elimination chamber throughout its history has always been you know them do as soon as you go out at ringside it's like oh you've got the you know you've got the not only do you have the chain link at ringside or surrounding the ring but you also have the steel grating at ringside at the same level as the as the ring and that adds an extra threat as well and you could do so many things with it um and now with it being pure padding it just it takes a lot away from the potential of certain moves within the match yes it allows you to do certain higher risks higher risk moves potentially but i mean if i remember correctly i'd have to watch back but i mean i'm sure they still did jumps off of the top of pods onto the grates back in the day too so you know it doesn't really it doesn't add anything to the match and it subtracts a lot to it you know mick foley in you know if you guys have ever watched holy foley and him you know trying to teach Noel wrestling maneuvers, he talked about, you know, the storytelling within a match, not just, you know, the moves and everything, but, you know, being able to tell a story within a match. And, you know, sound has a big factor into that. And, you know, there's a big... And we've become accustomed, even within the ring, you know, we've come, we've become accustomed to either hearing, you know, back in the day it was the wood, that wood, you know, that wood sound from, like, WCW um, when guys hit the mat, or now the, the spring sound uh, from the, the spring uh, rings now, but you don't get that when they're outside, so honestly, it sounds like they're getting hurt more when they hit the mat in the ring than it does when they're outside, and that's just ridiculous. Okay, 
I have two words to say to your argument about having that layer of padding over the grating on the outside of the chamber. Would you like to know what those two words are, Brandon? Sure. Career longevity. I get that, but I'll I'll say two words to you uh, in response to that. Braun Strowman. I'd rather not have them taking the same stupid bumps that they were taking in those original chamber matches that were taking months off of people's careers that were causing all kinds of nicks and stuff that were causing people to miss episodes of Raw, episodes of SmackDown, I, House Show, what have you. I get that. I, I don't I, need I, that. I completely understand, you know, your... I, I completely understand your opinion of it, and I completely understand why people would be against it, but... The one thing, and I would think that a lot of older school fans are in the same mindset as I am. One of the big things, and, and you know, I mean, obviously things have progressed and people are more focused on, you know, in-ring acumen and, and all of that. And people focus on, you know, New Japan and stuff like that. But one of the big things that I think a lot of people... Uh, saw in pro wrestling that they didn't see in other combat sports because of the predetermined and scripted nature of the business that you could do in pro wrestling that you couldn't do in other, you know, other sports is you can, you can do these extreme things and have it set up to where, you know, it still looks brutal and it's still crazy but, you know, obviously they're safe and everything, you know, to an extent. Obviously you can't be completely safe. But, you know, the fact that you can do things like that and have it be an oh-my-God, holy-you-know-what type of moment is something that I think drew a lot of people to wrestling back in the day. And now, with the exception of, you know, Shane McMahon, that is gone from wrestling nowadays. Patrick, you haven't commented here. Go ahead and speak up. You know, the, well, while you guys were going off and, and, you know, saying what you wanted to say, I was trying to think back to some of the worst injuries in Elimination Chamber history. And for me, I actually think the worst injury happened in the very first Elimination Chamber. Triple H's throat injury. Exactly. Where did that occur? In the uh, ring. That, that was in the center of the ring. Exactly. So, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter that everything is going to hurt. And accidents can happen. But, at the same time, you want to try and eliminate that risk as much as you can. Yes, the old elimination chambers were brutal, and they would show. I believe Triple H missed almost a month of shows after that. It barely made it through the damn match because he couldn't breathe. But it is about career. It is about career longevity, and. It just, I'm totally okay with it, especially with the fact that, yes, you're landing on padding, you're still landing on steel. 
But see, you know, that's the thing. I, I think. Look, hang, hang, on, hang, okay. you, hang on. You had your time. Now it's mine. Okay. Bailey, I believe, hit an elbow drop at one point to the to the uh, chamber floor, and you could still hear her just go <gasps> after she hit the damn elbow. So, yeah, you can put in. Half inch of padding down, you can put an inch of padding down. Maybe it won't make the sound, but quite frankly, it still hurts, and it hurts like hell. You Not know, to mention, they, they, real quick, they realized that they messed up after the first elimination chamber. Hell, I think they realized when they set up the first elimination chamber, and now it just took a long time to make a wider version that's also safer. I'm totally okay with this. I especially like it because it's taller and you don't have to duck. Um, I'm going to point out something as well, too, is that that air, that layer of padding that you're seeing around the chamber floor is no different than the kind of layer of padding that you would see around the ring in a standard venue. Exactly. The, the danger aspect of this mat is brought of this match is brought into this match by having that chain link grating around the ring in the the chamber itself, as well as the plexiglass pods and stuff, the elevated heights to dive off of. Because specifically, you'll see it on Seth Rollins' frog splash. It is significantly elevated from the top of that pod from the top of the top rope. We're going to call that a frog splash? <laughs> well, we're calling Seth's a frog splash. We're yes. not calling Seth's one. Oh, okay. All right, Brandon, go ahead I, and report. I, I, I mean, we'll, I, I, yeah. I, I get what you guys are saying. Um, I understand that to an extent. When, when it comes to like stuff like that, you know, yeah, it's still gonna hurt. But you know, I'm thinking more in terms of the fans and in terms of you know, obviously we don't want anyone to get injured or anything like that. But you know, if if you're going to have a match like this, especially for fans who have watched, you know, like, if I were watching this match at, like, because when I first started watching wrestling, I started, like, I'll tell a little story here. The first time I ever started watching wrestling was because I kind of, on a whim, downloaded Legends of WrestleMania on 360. And I and I saw the whole visionette between Austin and The Rock. And then I started searching stuff. And I found the Mankind vs. Undertaker match at King of the Ring 98. And I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. This is awesome. I have to get into this. If you went into that in that sort of mentality, and then the first pay-per-view you see is, is Elimination Chamber, and you're thinking... What is this? This isn't what I was expecting. You're going to tune out right away. So I think a lot of, you know, when it comes to stipulation matches, yes, you want to try to be as safe as you can, but you can't take away what makes those stipulation matches what they are. I'm going to make the argument that you don't take away what that this is what makes the matches what they are because of the grading around the ring, because of the elevated heights, and because of the plexiglass pods still being around ringside. But see, yes, they did the uh, the um, they did the plexiglass break spot a couple of times in the men's match, but especially with the way the new chamber is, you could 
do certain things, you know, obviously you wouldn't actually do a, a full spot like this, but, like, when Braun and... I know we're getting... I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but when Braun and... What was it? Rollins was on top of the pod, and and Braun was bashing him into the glass, you Miz. could... Or, it, it, right, it was Miz. I was thinking it was Miz, but I wasn't sure. Um, when they were on top of the pod, and they were breaking the glass, you... Or, you know, he was bashing his head into the glass. You could potentially do a spot where he actually breaks through the glass, and, like, he's threatening to throw him over. Ow. You know... You could do things that make it more threatening because of the way the new chamber is set up without maybe necessarily actually doing it, but making that threat more real, like the grading. You could basically offset it. The problem is doing something sure I like see that. I'm not going to say... Go ahead. I'm not entirely sure I want to see Braun attempt to murder Miz live on pay-per-view. And not only that, A, that there's way, way too much of a risk. You know, what that if, height. Uh, when you're at that height, it's a small platform. What if Braun slips? What if Miz, you know, shifts his weight the wrong way? There's way too high of risk to do something like that. And, yeah, to bring up, you know, the, the Taker Foley Hell in a Cell in terms of risk and everything, Look at Mick Foley now. Not to mention, you have to realize that it's A, 20 years later, and B, Mick Foley regrets doing that and realizes that uh, he probably shouldn't have. Remember the most the, the famous quote that Undertaker says about Mick when he pitches the idea. He says, Mick, do you want to die? So no. You know, you can't, you cannot go into watching that Hell in a Cell match and then go into the Elimination Chamber with the same mindset. They're 20 years apart. Oh, no, I get that. But I'm just saying to to the fan. that's why a lot of wrestling fans from then have, you know, jumped ship. Because they're jaded. Yes, precisely. And... You know, even if you didn't want to do it from the top, you could easily do it from within the pod, where they break the glass on the outer part and he tosses him out into the barricade, or something like that. With the way the new chamber is set up, you could figure out other spots to do. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of chambers down the road to do that. Alright, let's go ahead and move on, shall we? Let's do it. All right, let's talk about the match itself here. And I actually want to give all six ladies credit here because, in my opinion, this match was much better put together and much better executed than the men's match was a little bit later on in the evening. I would go as far to say that this was my match of the night for the entire show. There was only one thing that really irked me about this match, and, Patrick, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this because we've had this conversation on this show many times before. That twisted bliss off the top of the chamber of the top of the chamber pot looked amazing. It looked like she flat out murdered Sasha with it. That is until Sasha decided to go ahead and just put her in the bank statement on the floor anyway. Yeah, that was weird because you know you can see things like that where oh momentum shift and everything and blah 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 woo 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 but 
Alexa landed it. <laughs> like, she just flat out landed it. She did roll a little. It came down as like a, almost like a moonsault press, though. Like, she came down full on. Sasha did not roll through until after the move had completed, which made it seem like to me like she was just no-selling the effects of the move, which pissed me off. Yeah, I think that was more so just bad execution more than anything. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I don't put that on Alexa. She nailed it. I think it was just, I think Sasha reacted too late. That being said, they make their way back into the ring, and eventually we do see the Andrade Alma special, the hanging DDT that allows Alexa to retain here. We'll talk about what this means a little bit later on in the show when we get to Asuka and Nia. However, our next contest is scheduled for one fall. One fall. One fall. You guys are horrendously missynchronized with that, but that's okay. Oh, wait, we forgot to do Alexa's promo real quick. Let's do oh, that yes. Because that was pretty awesome. Uh, no, Brandon, that was not a face turn. I was think I honestly thought it was going to be at first, and then she was like, "Oh, never mind, you all suck." Patrick, is there a better female in the WWE right now getting heel heat than Alexa? <laughs> Sasha, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Okay, that's funny. Well, we'll see about that. It may be for the right reason coming up. Intentionally, though, no. Alexa's on her own. I would say the only person that comes even anywhere remotely close to SmackDown is probably Ruby, but we haven't seen most of what Ruby's capable of yet, whereas Alexa's cards are kind of on the table, and she's got a pretty good hand. Please let Fastlane be a good match. Please. Now, the following contest scheduled for one fall. One fall. One fall. Is the tag team titles on the line as champions Cesaro and Sheamus, a.k.a. The Bar, defend against Titus World? What? No, not happening. With I did the honor. With Dana Brooke in their corner. Because apparently Dana's important enough to be a manager, but not important enough to get into the match, despite the fact that we had two Absolution members in the match prior. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, two on two on two. Dana would have been on a roll. Um, that's pretty much the story of Dana's career. Anywho. <laughs> the match itself sees Seamus and Rita- Cesaro. Rotaro? <laughs> Otunga? <laughs> Kekutaro? MSI! Anywho, see Cesaro and Sheamus. I combined Cesaro and Sheamus into one for Rotaro. I don't know what happened there, but anyways, they retain the tag team titles after the double team spiked white noise lands, and Cesaro puts Apollo's shoulders down to the mat at 10 minutes and 46 seconds. You know, for a filler match, actually not bad. I appreciate what they're attempting with Titus. But come on, keep the guy out of the ring. He's just so clunky. <laughs> Patrick, you're up first here. Yeah, this was a case of, I like three out of four. <laughs> um, you know, to me, you know, Cesaro is God. Sheamus is great. I love Apollo. Um, Titus, 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 Titus. <laughs> Titus is Titus. 
Why, uh, why couldn't Akira Tozawa team with Apollo? <laughs> wondering that same thing. Yeah. I review. Just leave Titus outside. Let him be the mouth. Let, let him be what AW was for him. <laughs> Just with less, you know, controversial jokes. Less Kobe Bryant jokes? Yeah, really. Yeah. But I, I thought, you know, the match was very good. I, I honestly, out of the four of them, I thought Apollo looked like a star and looked like maybe they were trying to give him something. You know, yeah, he, I believe, ate the pinfall, which I found odd. But I thought he looked the best out of the four, and that's saying something given Cesaro was in the match. See, I wouldn't be surprised to see Apollo be one of the favorites to win the Andre should said Battle Royal happen. Brandon, your thoughts on the match? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why Apollo got ate the pin is because, you know, for whatever reason, Vince does not like using Apollo. He's, you know, he hasn't really been used much at all uh, throughout his time on the main roster in spite of pretty good fanfare once he came up. Um, but uh, besides that, I mean, this match, you know, like... Patrick said it it was pretty much a filler match. Um I ideally I was hoping Titus World Wide would get it because I would have liked to have seen what they could have done with some titles. Uh but you know, Same. I think what the answer to that question is nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it would have at least made some interesting promos with them. Uh but, you know, we didn't really get yeah, we got what we expected with this match. That's pretty much it. It would it, it literally would have made Dana Burke into the modern day Alexandra York. <laughs> I will say that Corey did get off a couple of great lines about Dana Brooke's statistics keeping. <laughs> Corey's one line about the fact that Titus Worldwide was undefeated in home arenas of expansion NHL teams made me laugh out loud. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Our next contest, scheduled for one fall... One fall! ...is Asuka and Nia Jax here, because apparently we haven't seen this enough in the WWE, NXT, wherever else. Like we well, said... This has never happened before. Yeah, like we said off the air, this does, that does not exist. I actually think we might have been on air when we said that, but regardless... Oh, okay. Um... Asuka picks up the win, countering out of a power bomb into a modified variation of a victory roll at 8 minutes and 14 seconds here. A little surprised they didn't have Asuka get a more dominating victory here. Even more surprised when you factor in the post-match where Nia spears Asuka through a ringside barricade. Brandon, knowing what we know that Asuka's going to WrestleMania and Nia is not for a women's title opportunity, are you surprised that they went kind of a kind of a backhanded way of finishing this match here by going with a roll-up rather than having Asuka get a decisive victory. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens moving forward, but, I mean, the all, the the things I've been seeing, seeing online have been, although they kind of <laughs> disputed that tonight at with the post-match interview with Alexa, um, but... All the things that I've been seeing is Asuka potentially jumping ship over to SmackDown and facing Charlotte, while Nia faces Alexa for the Raw Women's Championship. And if that is indeed the case, 
then this makes a lot of sense because, you know, obviously he keeps Asuka's undefeated streak going um, and allows her to do what she has to do while also keeping uh, Naya strong and allowing her to still potentially get a title opportunity. So we'll see how this goes, but I think th this was a good way of keeping the streak going, keeping uh, keeping Alexa... Or, Excuse me. Keeping Oscar's uh, momentum going while also keeping Electra or keeping Nia strong. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see how this progresses throughout the next couple of weeks. Would you like to buy a vowel? Too many vowels. <laughs> No, it's it's the difficulty of the names. I get it. Trust me here. Um, Patrick, that was a bonsai drop. What the hell? <laughs> no, that was a Vader bomb. Actually, oh, no, that it was a bonsai drop, drop. wasn't it? Which that was a straight-up shout-out to Splash. So, yeah, that was a That was a straight-up shout-out to her cousin. <laughs> Which one? Um, That would be Yokozuna. I know, but she's got like 96 in that family, so... Well, yeah, the only one not related is Samoa Joe, as we have long established. He's like the, the one Samoan. Samoan. Anyway, um... Your thoughts on this match itself? I didn't think it was a bad match, but it felt like it just ended all of a sudden. Because it felt like they had a good thing going, and then it just ended. So it felt really weird, especially with the kind of say awkwardness a little bit of the finish because the argument could be made Nia kicked out. Um, but at the same time, it's like yeah, Alexa's playing up facing Asuka in, in the post-match promo, but when are we going to get Asuka's actual decision? Do we wait until, what would it be, March 12th then? Because it feels really weird that we don't have an answer yet of who Asuka's facing. And I have a feeling we're going to have to wait at least two more weeks. And I'm starting to feel like Asuka is going to jump ship. But the question would be, why? You know, I get the whole nobody is ready for Asuka, but... I mean, it feels weird that she's going to run through the entire division except for the champion... Uh, and take her belt, and instead she's gonna go to the other show and try and take her belt. Like it feels. I mean, techni technically, um, she beat Alexa in a non-title match on Raw. Didn't take the belt though, but understood. It just the whole situation I, feels weird to me. Well, here's why I'm going to disagree with that, and why I think her going over to SmackDown actually kind of does make some sense here. Because for as good as Alexa has been as the Raw Women's Champion, I don't think there's anybody that'll make the argument here that when it comes to actual in-ring ability and in-ring superiority, Charlotte is miles ahead of Alexa as a worker. Well, I mean, that... but. At least on a storyline level, shouldn't that mean that Asuka wants to stay on Raw? No, it means she wants to test herself against the best, and the well, best woman is true. in Asuka's opinion is going to be Charlotte. That is true. Okay. And quite, quite frankly, between the two shows, SmackDown does have the better in-ring. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. As mentioned, the post-match attack does see Anaya take out Asuka and put her through the barricade with a spear there. We see we see Asuka being assisted backstage while Alexa is being interviewed. Apparently, no one is ready for Alexa. See, that right there kind of makes me think that they are going to go with Asuka and Alexa at WrestleMania. And if they do that, then I would be curious to see where they would go for Charlotte for WrestleMania. And my guess for Charlotte is actually Naomi in a straight-up one-on-one match. I'd be okay with that. I want Becky. <laughs> I want Becky too, but I'd say Naomi's more likely. The following contest scheduled for one fall. One fall. In about four beach balls. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I, as soon as I heard the cheering and whatnot, and then I heard the chance, I was like, oh, God, not again. Here's the thing. They haven't given anybody a reason to care about this feud. Plus, they gave away the first match in it on free TV on Raw 25. Woken Matt Hardy taking on Bray Wyatt. You know, you mentioned the appearance of a certain brother of a Woken Warrior at this particular show. We actually did hear his voice. We did not see him, but we did hear his voice. Okay, so that was his voice. I wasn't going crazy. That was Jeff doing the fade away and render yourself obsolete. Okay, I was... That's what I thought. It sounded like him, but I was... Excuse me, Nero. Yes. Although although, although the doctors are still out about you going crazy. We should have a diagnosis there. <laughs> anyway, uh, Woken Matt Hardy takes down Bray Wyatt at 10 minutes and 7 seconds. Twist of fate. <laughs> Man, Bray Wyatt is the kiss of death for a character in the WWE right now, is it not, Brandon? Well, I mean, except for, I mean, unless he got saved by Bray's uh, illness, uh, except for uh, Finn Balor. Well, no, Bray would have screwed Balor up because that would have been Bray and drag. Instead, Bray got sick and Balor worked AJ instead. Yeah, and, and Balor would have been dressed like a pumpkin. <laughs> At least that would have been more entertaining than uh, certain things, like like WrestleMania last year. I mean, to be fair, I'd rather them wasting Orton in this spot than what should have been a big deal with the Woken Hardy universe. I agree with that, but, like, I mean, Bray, in terms of how he should be used and what his character is supposed to be, this pro- this made the most sense for him as a first feud. Because it's two seemingly crazy guys, you know, um, going at it and, you know, doing some crazy promos and all of this. I would have loved for this to have ended in some sort of either fight. I mean, I know WWE would have screwed it up, but, you know, it would have been interesting to have seen this end in some sort of either Final Deletion or House of Horrors or some sort of, you know, pre-taped thing. Um, but I have Never a feeling... House of Horrors match. Well, Never. no. I, I don't want to see one again either, but I want to at least see... See them do something kind of more innovative, like do it at either the Wyatt Camp Compound or the the House of Hardy or whatever. Um, but I would, um, I'd want to see, 
or I have a feeling that this is going to Mania, and pro- we're probably going to see another uh, Worm Fest like we saw last year. I, I kind of want to see Bray Wyatt get thrown into the lake of reincarnation and come back out as Husky Harris again, because at oh. this point, otherwise, he's probably about done for. Oh, God, that would be hilarious to see. I mean, and and it's it, it's really sad because... Because Wyatt, back when he first started, I I liked Hardy or I liked Wyatt a lot uh, when he first debuted, and I thought he could have been a very good character. Um, but they've just completely destroyed him. Patrick, your thoughts? Move on. I'm. That's it. Huh? Boring. You know, and the sad part is, is the the crowd in Las Vegas completely agree with you here. Although we did get a really loud Rusev Day chant, and frankly, you there? No. What happens is, is Harry gets a phone call and it cuts off Harry's microphone for a few seconds. <laughs> oh, lovely. But anyways. What was the last thing you guys picked me up saying? Uh, you saying th- something about getting a Rusev Day chant. Oh, well, the one thing that the crowd agreed with was is that it was Rusev Day, and as everybody knows, it's always Rusev Day. But see, that just further proves that, you know, this match meant nothing because we got beach balls, we got Rusev Day chants, we got chants complaining about beach balls apparently being taken away, I guess. Um... You know, they just didn't care about this match. And it's really disappointing for Hardy because, you know, I mean, especially with the very short attention span that Vincent Kennedy McMahon has, uh, I have a bad feeling that he's going to go back to being bland old, you know, Team Extreme Matt Hardy soon enough. If this doesn't improve and he doesn't get some sort of reaction behind his broken brilliance. I wouldn't be surprised to see them revert back to what they know works in Team Extreme sooner rather than later based on the reactions recently here, but I think this is just as much on Bray as it is on Hardy, maybe even more so. Oh, I agree that this is more so on the fact that Bray Wyatt is a completely dead character because of how he's been booked, and that is what's causing this, but... We all know that, you know, whenever something fails, it's always put on, you know, the less experienced, or not so much experienced, but the more, you know, risky gimmick. So, you know, the the fall will go on, on Hardy, and as a result, I have a feeling that he'll go right back to being just bland old Team Extreme again, and you know, the the broken brilliance will be destroyed as everyone feared and predicted. Work your magic, Jeremy Borash. <laughs> yes, somebody needs to bring Vanguard back. Stat. Yeah, right. well, or or uh, or Brother Nero. What honestly, I would love to see them uh, feud with Balor be and the Demon because that would be a great feud, and I think they could do something with it. Plenty of time, young Padawan. 
That's all I'm going to say. Not, not really if we what we were talking about comes to fruition, where they're going to you know jump ship as soon as it doesn't look like it's working. Need to move on. Anywho, the following contract scheduled for one signature. Okay, that was just more so to pop myself than anything for you guys. But anyway, Kurt Angle comes out with Rousey's contract in hand. Triple H and Stephanie then appear as well, and it makes it blatantly obvious where we're going for WrestleMania at this point. Not that it should really surprise people, but come on. I mean, really? Anyway, Rousey comes out, she cuts a promo, stumbles all over the place because promos are not her strong suit. But given the fact that she was known more for an ass kicker than her verbiage when she was in the UFC rings, I'm okay with it. So considering how bad she was, how long does it take for Heyman to jump on? As I was about to say before I was so rudely interrupted. Sorry. Was that, I think, given her background, the whole kind of shy-to-cut-promos things works for her. She's going to get more and more comfortable as she does it more and more often. As Patrick talked about while we were doing the group chat here, this was her first major in-ring promo for the WWE. She's not going to be the Technically second, the more I thought about it. Technically second. She didn't really say much of anything during the Royal Rumble one, though. It It was a bunch of sign pointing. Oh, you mean the one with Rock at WrestleMania 31? She had Rock to bounce off of and lean lean on there. Yeah, I was just about to say the same things. She had Rock to work with, and I'm sure her and Rock went over everything that she was doing a bunch before that that segment even happened here. This was her first chance to sink sink or swim on her own in a WWE environment. And not only that, she also didn't have the added pressure of the fact that she's actually there now full-time. You know, there it was just a one-off, and she was more, you know, she could be herself without having to worry about how the fans would react, because at that point it seemed like it was just going to be a one-off thing. And then she was on her way back to Dana and friends. Exactly. So, she talks about the fact that she just wants to make her hero, Rowdy Roddy Piper, proud of the fact that he bestowed the Rowdy nickname upon her. Triple H... Wants to make sure that she knows what she's signing, and apparently, if if I'm not mistaken here, it seemed kind of like he was taking a dig at Brock Lesnar in the process. Yeah, oh, definitely, because yeah. she, he was saying how, like, she's not getting any special treatment, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that Which he was... In, I'm hoping that he's implying that she is, as she claims, full-time. Yeah. You were saying, Patrick... Yeah. One criticism, she did get special treatment. She did have her own locker room. Bingo. To fast forward a little to Raw Talk, Rousey said that she dressed in the same locker room as all the other female superstars, which is a lie. Well, she may have gotten dressed with the other girls, but she had her own locker room for the sake of cutting promos. Still her own locker room. Yeah. 
All the same, back towards the ring here. We then get the whole, what we kind of expected with Angle and Triple H arguing off to the side. Rousey asks Angle why they're arguing. Angle basically says that it's kind of funny that Rousey's signing, not realizing that Triple H and Stephanie are trying to set her up. As Triple H told him, it took us three years, but we can finally get that bitch back. That's what he said. Triple H talks about Angle not feeling well, tries to rush him out of the ring. Angle then speaks up again from the ramp, stating that Stephanie claims that she could take Rousey and that Rousey's a has-been. This leads to Rousey getting in Stephanie's face. A fracas breaks out. Triple H gets put through a table. Stephanie slaps Rousey and then runs away before any consequences come her way. Who who put Triple H through the table? Rousey. Rousey put Triple H through the table. That 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 was that was my point. Um, you know, I I saw some people saying that it was a waste of time. I really didn't think it was. It got over a major player, proved that she still can't talk, set up a WrestleMania match, and proves that it's like no, she's here now. So. And and not only that, Rousey put Triple H through a table. So that's twice now that Rousey's gotten the better of Triple H. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with actually how it happened. And the fact that they kept it to only about 15 minutes actually surprised me. They almost blasted through it. Yeah, I mean, I was okay with this segment. I mean, it kind of stumbled out of the gates. Um, and hopefully moving forward, especially if she is in fact working with Kurt, um, and, and honestly with Triple H too, um, that they'll kind of guide her through promos and stuff like that, um, and she'll get better over the next couple of weeks and months, um, but, you know, overall this segment was okay, um, like we talked about on the chat, hopefully uh, her putting Triple H through the table signals that they're going to loosen the reins a little bit in this match if it does indeed happen, which I'm assuming it will at this point, uh, instead of what we've gotten in the Mixed Match Challenge. Um, but, you know, I mean, overall, this is kind of what we expected. We expected a different partner from her, or with her, excuse me. Uh, but Kurt is a good substitute for Rock, um, and actually kind of makes more sense considering the, uh, the ending of Survivor Series and kind of the, you know, the back and forth between Triple H and, uh, and, and Kurt. Uh, the only person that, you know, uh, on the main roster, and I get they're trying to make this match as, you know, must-see as it can be and trying to get as many casual and old-time fans in the building and, and watching the network for Mania as they can. So that's why they're putting Kurt in this scenario. But prob- but I would have preferred them to put Braun Strowman in this spot because that would have put Strowman over so much, not only, you know, with, you know, the, the fans that we have now, but the casual fans that I was talking about before who are so, you know, focused on you know, the Attitude Era and stuff like that, you could have had Strowman do some crazy spots, both in the lead-up and at the match, 
and it could have potentially actually drew some fans into the into the current generation of WWE. Well, here's the thing with that: you couldn't really involve Strowman tonight since Strowman still had the chamber match. True, true. So, and you didn't want to telegraph Strowman getting getting involved in doing anything to jeopardize the chamber match. True, true. I mean, they could still in theory go and, that and route. Tomorrow night on Raw would be perfectly understandable here. This is regards if Angle were to say pick a partner for Rousey, and Angle didn't want to pick himself because Angle wants to face Seth Rollins as revenge for what happened to Jason Jordan. That is actually a very good point. I heard that Bret Hart reference. I give that joke a 4 out of 10, Patrick. But yeah, that's actually a very good point. I, I could see them going that route. And, and if they did, I would be happily surprised and I would be all aboard on it. Any other comments about this segment, PK? I'm good. Brandon? Um, I mean, I just think that, you know, moving forward, if she is indeed going to be, you know, full-time and everything... Well, first off, I'm hoping that the whole full-time rumors are legitimately true and she will be around uh, more, you know, more than just, you know, every now and again. Um, the big test is going to be tomorrow night if she is, in fact, in the building and actually has a segment or whatnot. Um, but what were you going to say? Let's just hope she doesn't have Brock Lesnar's creative control in the process. I don't think she will just because, you know, Brock was, you know, was a wrestler before. So, like, I think they gave him more leeway because of that. I think they're going to, you know, especially because it, it, it does honestly seem like she's willing and, and ready to learn. I think as long as they either have Kurt and Triple H and everyone they can backstage ready to teach her how to do promos, how to do, you know, everything she needs to do to be a successful pro wrestler, um, I think she'll be fine, um... You know, but if if they try everything and she's still floundering around, especially with all the rumors about Brock, you know, potentially leaving, you you could just move Heyman from one former MMA star to another, and you know, but that's only if worse comes to worst. Personally, I would love to see her be able to stay on her on her own two feet, and you know, make something out of what she's what she's mm-hmm. doing. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our main event, scheduled for six falls. Jesus. Can't even. Anyway, it is the number one contenders for the universal title match inside of the Elimination Chamber. The Miz, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor. Those are the three men that started the match. John Cena, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and Elias were the other four in Miz is the first one out at. Yay! I'm looking for the time. Miz is the first one out at 20:05. <laughs> Cena or Elias is next at 25:45. Cena at 27:15. Balor at 30:35. 
Rollins at 36.30, which means in the span of seven days, Seth Rollins wrestled an hour and 42 minutes. And Roman picks up the win, advancing to the WrestleMania main event again. the who it's the how right patrick yeah we knew this would happen this match was set up the night after wrestlemania last year but this gave me flashbacks to the 2014 rumble i was at that rumble i'm sorry it was fun where you had one guy who had a dominating performance you know and is over with the crowd and all of a sudden, he gets the rug pulled out from under him. Because you mentioned all of those eliminations. And the only time you named the person eliminating a person was the last one with Roman. All of the other eliminations. Who, who got him? That, that would be the Brian. guy who last eliminated. Yep. Yeah. Braun. All of them. Five eliminations, a record-setting performance. All power slams. Yep. Yep. And then he has the rope pulled out. We knew. We knew it was Roman and Brock in New Orleans. I took Roman earlier in the week. But... Badly. And I don't even know why. We knew it happened. But... It just, it bugs the hell out of me. It goes back to what I said. It's not the who, it's the how. It's the fact that they gave Braun such a dominating performance up until that point. But then once it comes down to just Braun and Roman, oh, well, look at that. Four minutes later, it's Asta bye bye Well, I think it, it's the faulty WWE logic of they still want to try to keep Braun looking strong while still having Roman win. And, I mean, I guess if you really look at it, I mean, I I hate to be a WWE apologist right now, but they kind of did a good job. I mean, they kept... I mean, we, we all knew, and this is where I'll disagree with Patrick on the comparison to 2014. Maybe it was the fact that none of us were reading dirt sheets as much as we are now, but... Uh, what? I was. Okay, well then you're the best person to answer this question. Was every uh, dirt sheet at the time saying, oh, Batista's gonna win? Uh, I mean, it was more or less if Brian was in, Brian was winning, but... Exactly. Exactly. No, uh, yeah... Most that I ever read, it was Batista was going to win. Okay. But still, the the difference was that everyone was going in saying Brian or Bust. And no one, while yes, the Dirt Sheets were saying that it was Batista that was going to win the match, everyone was still thinking, especially at that point, after, you know, the, because this was only, think about it, this was only a year and a half removed, or two and a half years removed 
from the summer of punk. So, you know, the fans were a little more optimistic at the time. So they were thinking, oh, there's no way they're going to screw Brian after, you know, how much the fans had gotten behind him. And that's what caused the backlash that eventually caused Brian to get into the Triple Threat and then win at Mania. Whereas this one, the difference is that, at least in terms of the way I felt going into this was, you know, oh, we've seen this coming for a whole entire year. We already know where this is going. So, you know, I mean, I was mostly just looking to see what Braun was going to do. Honestly, I was more disappointed that Braun didn't really do anything spectacular in until the until after the match was over. And even that was kind of like, eh, okay, it's the same spot that, you know, everyone else has done in the Elimination Chamber. Nothing really, you know, over the top. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, this match, I, I get what they were trying to do. Um... It would have actually, honestly, and while, you know, I know they're trying to keep him as much of a face as they can, but, I mean, honestly, no matter what you do with Braun, he is always going to be a face at this point, especially among the smarter fans. Um, you know, I would have preferred to have had him, like, get pinned by everyone you know, at least semi-early on in the match. And then, like, you know, him getting pinned by everyone to the point where, like, he can't kick out even though he's at, you know, full or at least near full health. And then, as soon as they get off of him, before he leaves the chamber, he just destroys everyone and leaves everyone on laying out. You know, that would... So what? The shield, the shield powerbomb. Well, exactly. Yeah, do that shield powerbomb that they did semi-early on in the match. Have him get pinned. Make, well, the only difference I would do is have everyone kind of pile on top of each other. Kind of like, um... Kind of like the reverse of what Braun would do to some of the jobbers when he would have the the one-on-two or one-on-three matches where he would pile two on top of each other and then pin them. Like, basically have, you know, Balor, Rollins, and uh, Elias jump on top of each other and all three of them pin him or something to the point where he can't kick out. Um, and then um, and then have him just go out on a rampage before he leaves the, the chamber. Um, but, I mean, I get what they were trying to do with this match. I mean, he still got the post-match beat down on Roman, which made everyone happy. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe I went into this match with lower expectations because I knew what was going to happen. Um, oh, no. I, I disagree with that, Brandon, because I knew what was happening as well. Because I was sitting with you when we did our predictions on the SmackDown on the SmackDown Live mm. here on the W2M Network, available online at w2mnet.com. <laughs> Show. But anyway, I picked Roman as well. So, like, the writing obviously was on the wall for this match. Again, it was not the who, it was the how. Yeah. 
Five other people couldn't eliminate Braun Strowman as a collective, but God damn it, once it was down to Roman and Braun one-on-one, three and a half minutes later, bingo, bango, Roman's your daddy. Well, I'll agree with that, especially considering the fact that, you know, uh, Braun has beaten Roman a couple of times in the past. Patrick, you got anything to add here? The, the only saving grace I have is the fact that it took, like, a legit nine finishers to mm-hmm. be brought. Because he took a curb stomp, a coup de gras, a attitude adjustment, a shield bomb, two Superman punches, and two spears, I believe. And quite that frankly, he wouldn't have been able to take the skull-crushing finale. Miz would not have been able to pull that one off. That's the truth. That's not me... Just being a jerk. I don't think he could get his arms around Braun's arms. Uh, he he totally skull crushing finale. Braun. I was Braun. just gonna say, didn't he do it last week? No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Anyway, I just I mentioned in the chat yes, that why didn't why didn't Roman and Braun split the eliminations? They each get three eliminations, with Roman's third being on Braun to win the match. And that kind of acts as a tiebreaker. And it doesn't completely pull the rug out from under Braun. Like I felt like tonight. Well, at the same time... The way that they did it with like five eliminations, and then he's pinned? Screw that. At the same time, just to play devil's advocate, I I do for the most part agree with you. But playing devil's advocate here, think about it in this way. Now, I mean, Roman was involved in the match, uh, you know, throughout the match, more or less. But think about the effort that it takes to, uh, you know, to be, to have to eliminate five guys. So, therefore, Braun's kind of gassed, whereas Roman has basically been just sitting back and relaxing and just letting Braun do all the work and then he basically picks up the scraps. That's the the best way I can think of it. And all well and good, but again, I refer to you of the time between the final two falls in this match. Three and a half minutes. Roman gets done in three and a half minutes what five other people couldn't do in the 36 and a half prior. Oh, I, I'm not discounting that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm completely agree with you, agreeing with you. I'm just saying I'm trying as hard as I can to look at it on, on WWE's perspective here. It was basically every normal brawn match. That Braun loses. Yep. Braun gassed out. Braun, Braun gassed s- out to guy who's gassing out. Braun smash, Braun smash, Braun smash, Roman wins, LOL. <laughs> like I said, Braun the, gassed out to somebody who's gassing out. The, the the bigger issue I have with this match, and, you know, I mean, I definitely think that they should have had Braun go out in a different way. But, you know... It doesn't really, besides the Roman and Brock match, I mean, and I mean, this has been an issue for WWE for the whole entire year and longer than that. Um, 
but it doesn't really set up for anything else. Everyone was everyone going into this match was thinking, oh, Balor will eliminate Miz to set up the Intercontinental title match, or Braun will eliminate, I mean, yes, Braun eliminated Miz, but, you know, I don't know if Braun should really just be going after the Intercontinental title as, you know, kind of a consolation prize. You know, he, maybe it's just me, I mean, I think you guys would agree with me, though, on this, that it, Braun feels like he's bigger than the Intercontinental title See, at this I point. Think Miz, I don't think Miz makes it to WrestleMania as the Intercontinental Champion, given the fact that his daughter is due a couple of days prior to Mania. True. Alright, time to put a nice tidy little bow on this episode. We've already ran about 20 minutes longer than I intended to, so let's go ahead and wrap this up, shall we? Yep. Alright, so we're just going to do this like a typical standard SmackDown review here. We're just going to give our overall show rating, um, our, our best and our worst matches here. We'll just do those there. We won't worry about like MVPs or anything like that here. We'll just do best and worst match and then an overall show rating. I think... I know I speak for myself, and I would imagine that I probably speak for you guys as well when I said the best match was the women's elimination chamber match. Yeah, yeah, I would have to say, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I would have liked to have seen them go in a different direction. It'll be interesting to see how they go with this, because I think you could have done a better story with the story it seemed like they were building towards within the match, which was Sasha versus Bailey. Um, but. You know, we'll just see how it goes there. Patrick? Totally agree. I think um, in this case, a history-making match, I thought it lived up. I liked that it kicked off the show. Um, I, I, Yeah, between the two, it didn't feel too long. It felt brutal. Even still, I was, I was very happy with the match. Loved it. Good, good precedent set. See, I would make the argument that if you would have switched the roles of the two matches here, if the women would have main evented here, I think it would have done them a disservice just based on Braun's performance in that match as well as having to have the Rousey contract segment right in front of them. Yeah. I, th- I think they made the right choice by letting the women open the show here rather than closing it like they did at the Rumble. Well, because there wasn't really any huge... Uh, there wasn't... I mean, yes, Bailey and Sasha are big stars now, but there wasn't that big, you know, main event feel to that match. I would agree with that here. I would say that Bailey and Sasha are established stars in the women's division. Alexa's on her way there if she's not there yet. Mickey was there. I don't know that she still has the same name value now that she did then. And Sonya and Mandy are maybes down the road, but definitely not there yet. Alright, let's go ahead and move on to our worst match of the show. And to me, it, it pains me to say this because I like both guys as performers, but to me, it's it's Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. Just purely on the crowd reaction and everything, I, I hate to say it, but I have to agree with you. I mean, I like both guys. I wish both guys were getting much better reactions and were getting much better pushes in WWE, but, you know... <sighs> Yeah, I I just don't know what you what you can do with either of them to get people interested at this point. Get them away from each other is the obvious answer to that. Well, even then though, I mean, look at how 
why it has been used over the past five years. I mean, fair. Patrick? I'm going to disagree. And I can't believe I'm saying this. The main event. Not just because of the Roman situation. Do you guys realize the historical precedent that that match set? Go on. It's the, it's the longest elimination chamber match ever. Really? And it felt like it. It was slow. It was boring for a lot of it. Um, Braun, you know, put on an, an, a, a great, great showing. But to me, that doesn't save it. And while, yes, the match before it, the Hardy versus Wyatt, was not great and clunky, but it's kind of what you expected. The chamber, you you expected, especially with, like, Braun in it, destruction. Destroy the pods. Maybe, you know, tear through the wall or something. You know, there, I, I think the precedent was there, and I think I went into it thinking, because of how slow it was at the start, that maybe it was they were waiting until Braun got in, knowing what the crowd was expecting, and then never really got it. So All maybe the- that was my expectation being too high, but I was really not a fan of a lot of this match. And yeah, the ending just pissed me off. I'll agree with the the Braun part because I was expecting a lot more from Braun in this match than we got. I was expecting pure destruction. And like I said, I thought the moment that we were going to get it was when him and Miz were at the top of the one pod. Um, but I, I think the difference is that, you know, while I was expecting something out of Braun and I didn't get I wasn't really expecting all that much out of this match just because I knew who was going to win. I think that's probably the reason why it doesn't irk me as much as it does to you. I mean, I get you, you kind of knew that, you know, uh, or that you knew who was going to win this match. Uh, but, you know... I think I was more so focused on that, so, you know, the the Braun stuff didn't irk me as much as as it maybe did to some other people. Final score for the show, gentlemen. Brandon, I'll start with you. Scale of 1 to 10. Uh, I'll go with a 6.5. Um, you know, some... Decent moments, you know, the the Rousey contract thing, while it started off very clunky and very, uh, very, uh, yeah, you know, very, uh, you know, haphazard and whatnot, uh, it, it ended off pretty well, um, and, you know, the rest of the card... You know, it it pretty much went as expected. You know, nothing too spectacular to write home about. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It's what you expected. That's it. 
Um, I'll go six. Um, I thought for the most part it was good. I thought the filler was filler. I was okay with the Rousey. I was okay with the women's chamber. But other than that, I mean, it felt like a very by-the-book pay-per-view. Not bad, but just nothing special. I think I'm around a six as well, just because I'm going to say that the Raw women, the women's title elimination chamber match, you can make the argument it over-delivered, given what was expected out of those six women. Uh, Naya and Asuka was probably better than most people expected it to be. The tag team title match was better than most people expected it to be. The main event, while disappointing to some, was probably about what most people expected it to be, uh-huh. given the fact of the outcome being what it was. The only match, in my opinion, that actually super underwhelmed was Wyatt and Hardy, but given the fil- given the build that those two had had going into that contest, that's not really a surprise either. This is a slightly above-average pay-per-view, but just that. And honestly, seems like kind of a missed opportunity on the road to WrestleMania to me. Honestly, to me, and maybe this is just me because I'm a fan of both of them, but the only reason why the uh, Wyatt-Hardy match underperformed, in my opinion, was because of the crowd. I think they did everything they could to make that match important. Yeah, but at the same time, if the crowd's not invested, then it's not going to matter. Oh, I'll agree with that, but, you know, I mean, you can only do so much. If if a crowd doesn't care, then you're basically screwed. Hey, Patrick. Yes? I'm not going to entirely put you on the spot here, but I am a little bit. Any idea when we might be back? Soon. That seems as safe an answer to give as any right now. Where can people hear you in the downtime, though? I know you and Kevin Mark Gray have a show still going on. If you can call it a show. Uh, Yeah, go on Broadway every Wednesday at 9-ish Central, so 10-ish Eastern, over on uh, the Logic Radio app, L-O-G-I-K Radio app. Is it still available on LogicRadio.com as well? Yes, it is. WLGKRadio.com. Okay. I, th- I thought I'd throw that out as well. Uh, Brandon and I used to have a show on Wednesdays, but we're in hiatus <laughs> right now due to the fact that, well, there's no football to discuss. Yep. So we'll be back close to the draft with our draft preview and then draft reveal draft review addition to the kickoff i know brandon has other plans coming with this year's football season as well with jason teasley brandon why don't you tell yeah, everybody about yes that? i do and we're we may end up doing like a little you know pilot episode just talking about what we'll be discussing and you know just getting everyone ready for the show this upcoming wednesday for fantasy football to the max talking about all things fantasy football and giving you all your fantasy know-how. So we'll probably have a pilot up this week and then uh, look for us as the draft comes closer. 
In addition, as I mentioned, the kickoff, as I said, is in uh, postseason hiatus. We will have a draft preview and a draft review in April. However, once again, come August, once the start of spring tra- of training camps comes up and we start getting into exhibition football, we will have much more for you with the kickoff season two here on the WTOM Network as well. Myself, Brandon Biscoping, Eric Watkins, and Jason Teasley. Also, you can listen to myself, Brandon, and the co-hostess with the mostest, Liz Puglisi, as we present the SmackDown Live and 205 Live reviews here on the W2M Network as well, in addition to doing Mixed Match Challenge during its run on Facebook Live, too. That is every Tuesday night here that we record the shows after they air, usually get posted to the website about Wednesday morning, so just... Pay attention there and you'll find us. In addition, you can find all of the W2M shows on all of your favorite streaming apps such as iTunes, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, um, God, so many other ones. I'm drawing a blank on some of them. Patrick used to do these rundowns at the end of the show, so I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. <laughs> plus, it is, plus, it is past 1.30, almost 1.30 in the morning here on the East Coast as we're finishing this up, so... Make sure you guys check that out. Brandon and I have a old school wrestling podcast in the works still. It's called How the War Was Won. We'll get more details to you guys when that becomes a finalization. And, yeah, so that's going to about do it for us. Make sure you guys check out the W2M review for Elimination Chamber 2018 as well. Odds are they'll probably do that on their W2M weekly episode, the first part one this Monday night for the uh, for the Wrestling to the Max weekly episodes. But So for... The returning Patrick Ketza, who hopefully will return more often soon. And Brandon Biskibbing, I'm Harry Broadhurst, thanking you for listening to Woo! Reacts to the 2018 Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Who knows? We might see you guys for Fastlane in two weeks. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you later.